When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If inflation means you're spending more money for groceries, for gas, you probably already know it already. You may not need to hear me talk about it. The thing is, inflation has been really high in recent months, and there's an emerging consensus that we're entering a new economic phase in which interest rates and globalization are going to be vastly different. I'm Gabe Friedman, and this week on Down to Business, I spoke with two economists about what rising inflation tells us about the global economy and the pace of globalization. My first guest, Derek Holt, is vice president and head of capital market economics at Scotiabank in Toronto. My second guest, Talon Ishjan, is a professor of economics at Dalhousie University in Halifax. Together, they provided an intriguing perspective on the economic changes afoot. As always, the interviews are edited for clarity and brevity. Hey, Derek. Yes, is that Gabe? Hey, thanks so much for getting on the phone with me. Yeah, sure thing. Because Holt was really early to recognize that inflation wasn't going to just pass quietly into the night and quickly disappear, as many economists thought was the case, I asked him if he could summarize what happened with inflation up until now. Sure. So many people blew their inflation forecasts, but I think central banks, the the error that they made throughout 2020 and 2021 uh, was in terms of being totally dismissive toward any talk of inflation risk. They could have been much more circumspect and balanced in their arguments because what we were dealing with was a series of forces uh, that were at a nascent stage of development uh, that could have well propelled inflation to be much, much higher uh, than they had been anticipating. And among those being we had supply chain problems that started with the trade wars between the U.S. and China. The pandemic amplified those. That added to some of this inflationary pressure uh, by raising costs and depleting inventories and making it hard to get a lot of products. Uh, We also had overheated demand in response to very, very low interest rates, and we've seen that in housing and consumer markets. Uh, As a final observation, I I think we also, before the pandemic, uh, really started to see a change in terms of the structural, longer-lived drivers of inflation. Uh, Like trade liberalization was turning more restrictive, Uh, technological change was no longer disinflationary, probably becoming inflationary, and demographic change was turning probably more inflationary as well. In other words, the pandemic may have obscured that trade protectionism had been on the rise, and trade protectionism can lead to inflation. So I asked how we lost sight of this. I think central banks had been so frustrated by the fact that inflation was stubbornly low for a very long period of time, underperforming their targets throughout much of the post-global financial crisis period of time, and even before that, uh, that they became hardwired to believe that inflation could never rise. And as such, I think that clouded their judgment to a significant degree and got in the way of assessing the here and now drivers of inflation as they may have been fundamentally changing in a very, very different way. Was there a particular indicator that this time was different, that inflation was sort of breaking free from its stubborn pattern? You see, the thing is, I I think the the drivers of inflation have been so diverse uh, and complex that it's no one single aha moment in terms of understanding what uh, propelled it higher. 
But the one thing that I would boil it all down to that probably concerns us the most, and by us I mean the whole collective community of forecasters, markets, and central banks, is the fact that uh, inflation is becoming uh, captured in, in terms of inflation expectations that are starting to take off. People are no longer saying this is transitory. It's going to be with us for a long time. Holt said he thinks the Bank of Canada needs to raise interest rates really fast faster than anyone has been predicting, to cool the economy and stop the rising price environment. And some economists say it would cause a recession. If nobody can afford to borrow money, then nobody spends money, everything slows down, you get it. Holt said raising interest rates may just be the best answer to the situation we're in. I think the challenge is we're at a point in the cycle where there's no such thing as a free lunch. And that's the the fundamental trade-off here, that we either accept higher borrowing costs in order to try to cool inflation, or get used to paying an extra 6 7 8% every year for all the, the items we consume. And the latter scenario, to me, is much more damaging in terms of recession risk, ultimately, than the former scenario of trying to head that off by reining in inflation expectations. One point I drew from all this is, we all know how globalization made companies more profitable by allowing them to build factories in places where it was going to be cheaper because of labor or regulations or to source materials from new countries. But We may be entering a phase now where instead of worrying about the cheapest place to build investments, companies are worried about protecting themselves from, say, a future pandemic or from geopolitical fallout. Think of how sanctions against Russia disrupted trade flows and how companies may be reorganizing their supply chains to avoid this. Holt said he's actually worried that we're just seeing the beginnings of inflation. That's my, my most feared scenario in terms of inflation. In a longer wave sense, we may be unleashing forces that lift inflation higher for a very long period of time. For example, the last time we had trade liberalization was way back when China gained entry to the WTO. And we've been tightening trade policy since the 2016 election in in the United States. And I think we're going to be tightening it further on a go-forward basis with the advent of sanctions and trade frictions between multiple parties. Are you thinking of like Russia and Ukraine right there? Yeah, and I I think what businesses are going to be struggling with in this environment is how to tighten up their supply chains to take out some of the policy risk around developments like pandemics and sanctions and trade frictions in order to contain more of those risks to their operations. And that probably means higher cost structures, and those higher cost structures will probably ultimately be passed on to consumers. And if that combines with technological change no longer being disinflationary and aging populations and their demand for medical services being inflationary, then we could be in for a long wave of inflationary pressures. And that's going to create a very different mixture of winners and losers in, in the economy. I mean, some people in some sectors are better able to adapt to high and volatile inflation than others. It's going to cut very unevenly across the economy. Could there be some, you know, unexpected positive consequences too? Like maybe, you know, we've seen growing inequality by bringing more manufacturing to the continent, you know, to like local supply chains. Could there sort of be some unexpected salutary benefits too? Within reason, uh, higher inflation can carry some positive benefits uh, compared to, say, if you had very, very, very low inflation and businesses only expected their prices to go up a half a percent or a percentage point. 
If instead they expect them to be rising faster, that might induce a greater incentive to invest in order to expand their markets, in order to capitalize upon those higher prices in, in future. And so there's always this debate, where's that crossover point between inflation that's too low versus too high? And I think the sweet spot is probably going to be something a little bit higher than what we've been accustomed to over the past decade. Any last thoughts about where this all ends or what the best course for us to take is? I think some of the recession risk talk is is exaggerated, in, in my opinion. All we're really talking about here is a normalization of monetary policy compared to something that we had adapted to before the pandemic. And I don't see the classic telltale signs of recession, like out-of-control inventories or really strained household finances. I think they're a lot better, especially in the U.S., but also in Canada, than we, we give them credit for. Huh. Well, that's a great positive note. I really appreciate you getting on the phone with me, Derek. Thanks so much. Yeah, sure thing, Dave. Thanks very much for reaching out. So that was Derek Holt, head of capital markets economics at Scotiabank in Toronto. He was explaining why you want a little inflation. In fact, most central banks have been targeting 2% inflation, and that's because it encourages businesses to invest now to take advantage of what they may believe will be higher future prices. But when inflation gets too high, it hurts people who don't have much money, small businesses, lower income people. I wanted to talk to an economist for another perspective on inflation, someone who had thought that it was transitory, but has since changed their mind. So I reached out to Talon Ishjan, an economist at Dalhousie University. Hi, Talon. Thanks a lot for getting on the line with me. Thanks for having me. So inflation has been rising for months now, and in March it hit 6.7%, which was a multi-decade high. A lot of people thought this would have passed already. Has your thinking about what's causing this inflation changed at all in recent months? Absolutely. In December last year, I was thinking along the lines of most economists that this was uh, the inflation was picking up, and I thought it was a transitory phenomenon. We would see a jump in prices, but may even see a decline in inflation going back to more recent historical norms of about two or three percent, even even less. Um, having said that, over the developments over the last four months have really modified my thinking over the issue. And um, I'm right now convinced that we are seeing a fundamental shift in the, in the global economy. And it's going to take a while for these shifts, structural changes to work themselves out. And uh, I think we'll have a bit more persistent uh, inflation than I had anticipated even four months ago. I think of the economy as like a slow-moving beast, a steamship that doesn't turn too quickly in any direction. But Ishan told me that what happened here was that there were these slow, gradual changes in the economy that were both obscured and exacerbated by the pandemic. The way I think about it is it's almost like a perfect storm that we're going through. And, uh, and, and not in the sense of a seasonal storm, but a bit more almost like a climate storm, a long-lasting storm. And uh, the sources of that, in my mind, uh, go back to 2007, 2008 financial crisis, how we tried to respond to that crisis, how we came out of that crisis, but didn't really address some of the more fundamental structural issues in our economies. And uh, following that, we had sort of emerging, but accelerating to some extent, the China-U.S. trade war. And I think all those events have created a slightly different business environment. Firms started thinking about whether they would like to maintain their uh, manufacturing facilities in China or if we're going to move somewhere else. 
in the meantime, cheap labor as we knew it in China was coming to an end. So uh, those two factors, um, I think we're starting to have already some logistical issues, some changes in the supply chains. And uh, we were facing some of these issues already before the pandemic. And of course, the pandemic came when these adjustments were gradually, slowly, without us immediately noticing those changes. And uh, the pandemic had a, a very sort of significant impact on, on these supply chains. I think what we're seeing today is the long-term adjustment that's ongoing. And now they're reflecting themselves into prices. Now we're going to pause a minute for a short break. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Ishan also takes the point of view that we've painted ourselves into a corner a little bit. That inflation is already really hurting low-income people who are paying more for food, for gas. And if we now raise interest rates so much that we trigger a recession and job losses, this could hurt a lot of people even more. Economic landscape right now is, is quite fragile in the following sense. Inflation is worrying many people because the headline inflation, just take the case of Canada, the headline inflation just announced what is about 6.7%. But you look at it underneath that, food prices are going up at, at 7.8%. In some cases, some categories, food categories, it's even higher than that. And it doesn't seem like that is going to come down very quickly, especially if the conflict in Ukraine goes on and uh, fertilizer prices remain high. It's going to have a major impact on food prices. It means that real purchasing power of uh, people on low income, fixed income, that's going to come down quite a bit. So that is really this, the worry that we are facing right now. So even if you were to increase interest rates and have an impact on the housing prices, the current and let's say durable goods, yes, fine. But what is that going to do to your low income people? So that's where I think biggest policy worry is, at least from my perspective, how do you deal with this situation and uh, how do you respond to that? And in, on top of it, if you're adding a recession to this thing, it's just going to be a double whammy. We're talking about real hardship for people who are earning a minimum wage and they're saying the prices for groceries going up, they have to transport themselves to work, gas prices are going up. So that is a real concern. If you add on top of that a recession, uh, rising unemployment, that's really something that we need to avoid. And uh, that's I wanted to know what else he was looking at as the situation unfolds. We started our conversation about globalization, and there is a serious now uh, conversation going around uh, whether we have reached the end of globalization. And uh, there is incredible uncertainty in that sense alone. Uh, so we have uncertainty about the inflation rate. Hopefully, we'll manage this, we'll muddle through this. But what's, what type of world order is going to emerge out of this is, um, is quite uncertain. And uncertainty creates, of course, anxiety in watching for uh, clear-headed policy that doesn't rely on past tools and, and thinking and categories that recognize that we have different partners around the table right now. And let's deal with that. Maybe a new Bretton Woods. Huh. And what would that do exactly? I think it will take away some of the archaic structures that we have built into the system of globalization we had, and that's not really working for everyone. 
And uh, it was a world of a single hegemon, if you wish, and Washington consensus. But now uh, the world is looking for something different. We have to recognize that, including the payment system that's out there. Maybe it's not going to meet the needs of uh, everyone that's coming on board in terms of uh, the global economy. Any idea, though, what that new sort of pact could look like? See, that's the kind of conversation we need to have. I don't, I don't think we're having that conversation. We're rightly or wrongly, the United States uh, has used its uh, currency uh, as a tool to uh, implement sanctions on, on Russians, for instance. Whether we like it or not, it does create some anxiety among nations elsewhere, whether uh, this is something that they can uh, continue to live with. Are we going to have a new reserve currency or multiple reserve currencies? Are we going to use the same financial payment system or are we going to go to a more barter style international trade? The specialization, what is that going to be? It used to be China being the manufacturing powerhouse. Now they're increasingly looking for countries like Bangladesh and, and Vietnam and, and like. So how are we going to make sure that trade from these countries will be uh, as smooth as it used to be? I don't think we have had these conversations. And I think it, it is a democratic conversation that needs to take place. Uh, there shouldn't be one country or one academic dictating their views because uh, once you sit around the table, new ideas Fresh complaints come, and I'm not so sure I'm fully aware of all these concerns and, and complaints. So it needs to be a bit more uh, broad-based, open, open conversation we need to have. And I see the politics as a constraint. Uh, I think uh, we need to we need to sit around the table and talk this as equals and uh, with with an open mind. And nothing should be off the table. I think the interlinkages, the inflation, the crisis that we're facing, and more sort of I guess existential threats that we're facing in terms of climate and and nuclear wars and so on and so on. But if we don't have a healthy world economy, we're not going to be able to solve any of those problems. So I think we have to be at the table with an open mind among equals. It's a fascinating idea. I really appreciate you coming on the show to talk to me about it, Talon. Thank you for having me and thank you for listening. So basically, he says the world needs to agree on some new principles that can guide economic development. So we figure out how to deal with not just inflation, but bigger problems like future pandemics, climate change, all the world's biggest challenges. I don't know what's going to happen, but these ideas are coming up now because the economy swerved off course in a way no one expected, with inflation rising much more than people predicted, and potentially interest rates rising much quicker and higher than people thought they would. That's it for this week's Down to Business. Thank you for listening, and thank you for supporting Down to Business by sharing episodes or rating us on your podcast app. A big thank you to my guests. Derek Holt is Vice President, Head of Capital Markets Economics at Scotiabank, and Talon Ishjan is a Professor of Economics at Dalhousie. Thanks as well to the Down to Business team. Bryce Hall composed and performed the original music and produced this show. Pamela Heaven, Victoria Wells, and Noella Ovid provided web support and editing. I'm Gabe Friedman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of Down to Business. But until then, you can find all your business news at financialpost.com.